Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got the Beat, the podcast devoted to being extreme! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally changed our life and our goals. <laughs> I shouldn't condescend to it though, but it is funny that during this era that we were so obsessed with extreme, you know, it's just like it started like uh, I want to say like around like '98 with like Limp Bizkit and so he died, and everybody started dyeing their hair and spiking in, wearing those goggles on their heads and huge jinko pants and yeah, piercing all think? sorts of things. Your tongue, the tongue piercings, uh. and like Red Bull and yeah. But I, I was, but I think of that because these two movies came out of that boom, um, Blue Crush and Lords of Dogtown. But there's a couple others from this time. I remember there's some sort of motocross movie, not with Chad Michael Murray, but I remember it was in theaters for like a week. And then there was Grind. Do you remember that one? No. Uh, Tom Green was in it, and shit, I can't remember the other kid's name. Um, but, oh yeah, no, I definitely don't remember that. But I mean, uh, Disney has a few. You know, that's right. Channel movies like that too. Yeah, and we we had an era in the '80s that was like that with Rad, uh, Thrashing, Gleaming the Cube, uh, BMX Bandits, and stuff like that. But all those kind of tanked as well, so that was short lived. This one, I think, lasted. Mm. Well, I guess only Blue Crush is really the only successful one, but I, I think there's more of a fan following than people expect from some of this stuff. Uh, I know people who are hardcore. I mean, hardcore. I think the Lords of Dogtown is more of like a underground, six, like you know, people really, really connected to it, yeah. but not necessarily in the, when it was in the theaters and made tons of money. But it made an impact, I think. Yeah, I think they're they're good movies too, and I. Uh, I know I'm hesitant to say this because people are hardcore followers of Rad, but that movie is terrible. The only extreme movie from that era that's any good is Gleaming the Cube. <laughs> mm. Um, so which one do you want to start off with? You decide. Okay, well we'll go, uh, I guess, release order. So we'll start with Blue Crush. And I, I'm really glad that they made a movie that recognizes the fact that that they are female. Like sometimes they do these movies and like we gotta bro them up, you know. We can't uh, we can't oh, yeah. have a female audience only. We have to have both. And I I think it did a really good job of respecting that. Like yes, they're still women, okay, and they also play sports. So you don't have to bro it up. Yeah, not every female that uh, you know excels at sports does it because she's real manly. Yeah. And that's just not that's just not the way it is. Well, it's also interesting is the director of this was a teen actor, uh, John Stockwell. Most people probably know him from either My Science Project or Christine. He did about I don't know eight nine movies, whatever, and then he started directing. He was very very young when he directed his first movie, the highly underrated Going Undercover, or no, it's just huh. it's just Undercover with Jennifer Jason Leigh. And then there's a really oh. long gap. And I don't know what happened, if he went to film school or he just couldn't get another directorial job. But then he did yeah. that movie, was it called Cheats or Cheaters on Showtime with Jeff Daniels? Cheaters, yeah. Yeah. And then that led to Crazy Beautiful, and that got tons of critical acclaim and did well. And then this is uh-huh. kind of his peak. It's kind of strange. If you look at his filmography, there's like five movies in a row that had so much potential, but only a couple broke out. And he yes, hasn't, he hasn't direct, yeah, he hasn't directed anything in like in six years. It's kind of a shame. There's a lot of movies with girls in bikinis on the cover. Oh, oh, from him, John Stockwell. 
it's just a coincidence. I yeah. Assume. Well, he made and a lot he of. He kind of moved into action movies. It looks like. Yeah, military style movies. Well, huh. um, he's kind of like Peter Berg, one of those kind oh, of. Oh sure. Uh huh. Yeah. Berg. It... Peter Berg. What? You said Burke. Oh, did I? I meant Peter Berg. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but you know, they both kind of have that same cachet of film styles. Though you know, Berg, he uh, he attached himself to Mark Wahlberg when he was red hot, so he got much bigger movies. But right, I, and I think it's cool that Stockwell is a surfer. He wasn't just like faking this, like oh, oh I just got this job because right. I'm good with directing women in you know the last two movies. He knew that world. He understood it, and, and this feels authentic. As much as I like, I forgot there is one more extreme movie in the 80s. It's called North Shore. And it has Nia Peebles in it. I can't remember anybody else in it. But it's pretty good. But it also feels a little too outside of that world. You know what I mean? Like someone who's watched surf movies but never actually been in the surf world. So he's just kind of writing from that perspective. This feels like it, it, it really attaches itself to... Like, you know, the contests and how they work out, those details. The fact that in Hawaii, it's more hardcore with the whole locals only than it is, like, yes. in SoCal. And, they, you know, they have words for howly is, uh, like, an insult to white people, you know, like that. And they, and they but hate, also, yeah. that's the general that's the general thing. It's not just about surfing. It's, a, it's everywhere. I mean... I, and I don't say this in any disrespect that they don't they don't want tourists they don't want people to come there they because the tourists are ruining the beauty of their their island yeah well I mean and, if you think about it it was probably nice for maybe the first 30 years oh the economy is booming and you know there's lots of businesses here yeah. now and then all of a sudden probably in the 80s it flipped and like uh-oh you know, like most of our islands are cement now and they're being bought up by foreign investors. Yeah. It is strange to me that Japan blew up Hawaii and then bought it up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure about any of that. Um, I did want to say that there's an interesting uh, thing about both of these movies is that they are based on uh, something that was written beforehand like and I say I would say they're based on books but they're not exactly like I I was really surprised to see this movie was had some definite um, inspiration from an article a magazine article called Surf Girls of Maui written by Susan Orlean and I don't know if you uh, recognize that name or not but Mm -hmm. she's real famous no is she she's She's real famous in the writing world, and all, but and even in the movie world because the um, adaptation is based on her book, The Orchid Thief. Okay. So that's kind of where she really blew up. But in the literary world, she's quite quite famous. And so I just thought, oh wow, that's a real like you wouldn't have. I wouldn't have expected it. I was really surprised when I saw that. Well, so she's not uh, a surfer. Yeah, so she's not a surfer. She was on the outside covering, and I think having her team up with John Stockwell made it more authentic. So I imagine that he took, you know, so her, you know, her story based on real, real girls, um, things that she's seeing, and with his, uh, you know, then with his actual surfing experience and eye, those two things together you know, made a really good story. Yeah, I, I think it's astounding that both movies did the right thing in getting um, 
great cinematography that felt like those videos that you would see. You know, I, I, do you remember when I was obsessed mm-hmm. with surfing? Yep, sure do. So I, mean, I was I was living in Indiana and I had seen the grit or no, the Endless Summer two, and for some reason something in it just clicked. I had seen surfing in you know movies before, like you know, uh, Back to the Beach. But, you know, that's just goofing around. This was like a real in-depth documentary, and I just thought it was fun, and the whole world looked really exciting, and I started getting the magazines. Uh, and, of course, you couldn't buy them where we live. So they, at best, you would get a wakeboarding magazine. <laughs> and I would have, yeah. like, I would have those pictorials of the huge pipelines and stuff like that, and yeah. just all of my wall, and I was just absolutely just stunned by it. And here's the irony is that I live by the ocean, even in a surfing area more than once, and I've never done it because I'm terrified of <laughs> what's underneath the I water. Mean, <laughs> that's the thing is, like, it's a very, very, to me, very intimidating uh, sport to even attempt. Yeah, it's because you're you're dealing with the the animals underneath. You know, you're dealing with the reef. You're dealing with the fact you have to be an intense swimmer. You really have to have incredible lung power. You need to be fast. You need to be strong. You need to have lung power. You need to be patient. You need to get up at the ass crack of dawn if you're serious. You know, and you have to be persistent because you're not going to be good at something like that immediately. Yeah. And, you know, most people, and I would say I'm one of those people, and I think you are too, that you, that you I've never found anything that I care about enough to commit yeah. to getting good at. Only only baseball for a while until I got hit in the face, and all of a sudden I just shied away from it. But, yeah, in general, well, I know, I, I just, I, I don't think I have that. Uh, I, you have to get past the frustration level, and I've never been able to do that. Yeah, I agree. The, uh, yeah. But I, I just think um, I think it just a really good balance of making these characters grounded, you know, gave them the actors a lot to work with, and it's fun and it's action packed and I mean there's real heart. I actually this is embarrassing, but I actually started to tear up at the end. Um, her finally getting you know the huge pipeline that she wanted, and you know yeah. just that rousing victory or whatever I started to tear up because I felt like I wish I could have done that yeah yeah I you know the other thing too is like you know they have good actors they may not be like huge names but they're good they're likable I really really found the relationship the friendship between all you know the girls to be it felt real you know giving each other shit being honest with each other even when it you hear you know when you have to hear stuff that's you know hard you know it felt real like um it was very believable and that made me um you know enjoy the movie a lot more uh i don't know how much i care about the like football guys and that necessarily that side part i understand why it was in the story but i don't think it would necessarily was necessary right you could strip all that out and it'd be the same movie i think so yeah the only thing that i really liked though was the fact that she there's that thing towards the end where they act like she's just there to get the money you know, oh, he's, yeah. he makes $10 million a year. That's why she's here. I'm like, now hold on a second. Then why are you here? <laughs> and right. she's dressed great. That's what fair. are you talking about? And then she You're just You're all like, in the same boat, ladies. Yeah. And she just said, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. And I, I really like that part. Mm-hmm. 
I did also really like, with the exception of those guys that were, like, challenging her all the time, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there was something, like, one of them was an ex-boyfriend or something, right. and so there was some tension, but in reality, even though there was tension and she, they were giving her shit, in the end, like, Really, they were supporting her, and the surf community seems to be very close and supportive, especially that other surfer who she was competing against, and how um, and how supportive you know she was to her uh, in achieving her goals, and that was you know the other element that I found so likable. Yeah. Well, I think her her mind was a little shaken up. I mean, because she yes. had eaten shit on that reef. I can't imagine what. Oh, and wait, did she get caught right before that? Then she hit the reef the second time. Like she just had a real bad run. Yeah, she 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 had. I mean, it looked pretty bad. Though you know, until the very end. Can you imagine? And the fact that she she had had a very bad incident. You know, a year or six months before that. That or maybe it was even. I don't even know. Was very scary. To try to come back from that. Yeah, I just can't imagine having thousand pounds of water smashing into your head. I know. They, they talk I about mean, the critter. The critters underneath are scary to me, but that amount of pressure is is much scarier, really. Yeah, CTE is never talked about in surfing, but I wonder if it's a thing because it's still oh, pounding on your brain. Sure. But. Um, right before I left, uh, Pismo Beach, like my last night there, I was out drinking with some friends and they, and one of the girls was a surfer and she was like, you got to come out surfing with me before you leave. And I was like, it's 10 at night. She goes, I don't care. Let's go. It's good. I'm like, I'm not surfing in the dark. <laughs> I can't see shit. I need my glasses. And there might be critters under there that I can't see. I'm not doing it. So I had one opportunity <laughs> and I chickened out. Yeah. You think I would at least got a bodyboard, but no, I never did. I, I stepped into the water, and that was about it. Like, oh yeah, I'm done. I did it. I did like a little bit of bodyboarding in Hawaii when yeah. I was there, but wait, am, you've been I, to Hawaii? I love the water. I love the water, but I'm very, very intimidated by the water. That's another thing where I'm shocked that I haven't done is two places that I I've been really interested in uh, for most of my life is Canada, never been there except for Niagara Falls, and uh, Hawaii. And I don't know. I mean, it's just uh, fear. I'd rather watch movies did, about Hawaii than go. Did you express surprise that I had been to Hawaii? Did yeah. you know that? No, and then I remembered after I said it that I forgot oh. you went. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, it's really interesting that Kate Bosworth, like for a while there, she was like a go-to kind of girl for a yes. lot of studio films. Yeah. And if you look, she's now like, she's carved herself this little niche um, uh-huh. Of directed video action movies, like she's an action star now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, maybe the movies aren't the best quality. I also think it's kind of cool that she recently got married to Justin Long. Yeah, I didn't know that until just the other day. I just think they seem very cute. Yeah, she really was like the go-to gal for a long time, and I see why. She's very likable. But it is interesting. I, I, I haven't, like, seen any of these movies that she's done in the last few years. But she's definitely made a a, 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 a shift. Yeah, I watched one with her and Emile Hirsch. Uh, it was mm. like a storm movie. Like, uh, they're in an apartment complex trying to well, stay alive. It was okay. That's kind of interesting that Emile Hirsch is in the other movie. Yeah, well, Emile has also... 
done um, kind of like his own thing too. I don't know if they have the same agent because he's almost had the same exact formula with his career lately is do like yeah these lower yeah. budget, he plays really eccentric characters in these low budget movies. Um, and it's usually like most of the budget goes to one name, like, you know, Mel Gibson or Bruce Willis, yeah. John Cusack, someone like that. And, but he's always given a really interesting performance. Um, oh, I, I see this movie you're talking about, Force of Nature. Yeah. I think it was direct, it says it's directed by Ma- Ma- Michael Polish, who I think that was her previous husband. Oh, okay. I remember Michael Polish was I kind think. of a hot name going around. A lot of these directors, like, they had their moment and it's kind of gone away. Um... Yeah, I do wish John Stockwell, it just seemed like every time he had a movie out, it was supposed to be a big deal. Into the Blue, I thought was going to be a big deal. It didn't really make much money. Mm-hmm. Um, Teristas, I remember, and there was another one in there yeah. where everybody I was kind of like, this too. could be something, and then and nothing happens. Yeah, I don't know. Stuff, you know, there's just, there's just no way to really know how things are going to play out in Hollywood and yeah. what's going to be a hit and what's not. But at the same time, he was yeah. a guy whose career was dried up, you know, 15 years before this. By 87, he was out of the teen lead, you know, and, and often just trying to survive for the next decade. So, I mean, at least he got that, so. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about that movie before we move on to the next one? Um, not I mean, I guess there's like a few shots in the movie that I was like, oh, shit, that's some serious CGI. That looks terrible. Oh, yeah, real uh, early face mapping. But I mean, you know, it was early 2000s. Uh, but actually some of the scenes that you, or some of the shots that you think would have been a fake weren't. Like the rainbow behind her at, at the end of the competition was real okay uh some of the stuff that you think was super cheesy was just actually real but it's like that one shot where she's like inside like the like inside the heart of that uh wave at the end or towards the end you're just like that maybe was just a little yeah but at the same time you you have to say like well you can't put your lead actress in such a dangerous situation so what are you gonna do I mean, of course, of course. Yeah, because you can watch a lot of those movies, and it's really obvious either blue screen, you know, before green screen, or rear projection, or it was just a stuntman. And both movies, they do an extremely good job of covering this up. Like you said, there's only two shots where she's turning into the wave, and then at the very end when she raises her hand, but... Yeah, really, it's not, it's really not bad. You know, I don't know how much of the stunts she did herself or how much surfing she did. I mean, I, you know, it says Michelle Rodriguez did most of her own stunts, which doesn't even, doesn't surprise me, even in the slightest. Yeah, you know what's Um, funny is, I feel like she had more opportunity early on in her career where her characters had more depth. Yes, she was still playing tough girls. Um, yeah. But it does seem like now people are just like, what do we What do we got? Who we got? All right, we'll just do Michelle Rodriguez. What are we going to give her to do? Nothing. Just She can just be tough. And it's kind of disappointing. I haven't seen Dungeons and Dragons, a new avatar, to see if it changed. But she said she just wants to do a romantic comedy. Something different. And how Aww, hard is it? Just... I would love to see her in a romantic comedy. Yeah, I think she's very funny. It's just she has very little. I mean, the, the Fast and Furious franchise is her payday. But at the same time, it also kind of drowned her. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it was like more depth in her character. So that, you know, I like... mean, the most, the most like she diverts from her action movies is when she does like voice work. Well, she's done a couple cartoons which are kind of off, like Smurfs, The Lost Village, and oh, okay. Turbo are like the most you know. And Widows was kind of a little different for her. Oh, I, I forgot that um, existed. But I will say, a Dungeons and Dragons, like, please give it a, a watch. Like, you know, you you know, it's gonna be entertaining. That it does not disappoint in that area, but it actually has a lot more heart than than I expected it to. Yeah. And I got a little emotional at oh, times. Oh, good, because uh, you know the other Dungeons and Dragons movies, yikes. Yeah. She actually has mo- the most. Uh, she is kind of the emotional heart of the movie so it's i think slightly closer to what she's looking for while still being like a straight up badass but i think i wish this movie had made more money i don't think that it was hugely successful but it's actually very good it made it well it cost a lot just like lords of dogtown a lot of it costs because it's hard for blue crush uh, yes some of it was the soundtrack but a lot of it is it's hard to film on water it's very expensive even with like, cause you have to get into those. I don't know how they even do it safely. Like, how do they get the I camera? I don't know. Do you have another guy on like a boat, and he just has a guy behind him with the camera, trying to not get like drowned by the water? I don't know. But I don't uh, know. a lot of it is the soundtracks. Now, Lords of Dogtown soundtrack is fucking insane. Like, I listen to. There's a playlist on Spotify with the soundtrack, and you're like, oh my god, that's where all the money went. Um, yeah. But yeah, it made forty I did, million. I did want to clarify something though, yeah. is that even though that actually what I said is kind of true about Blue Crush, what I was actually talking about was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. So was that was that clear that it is very good? It oh. Didn't make as much money as it should have, and she is the emotional heart of the film. I guess all those things are true about both movies. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were going back to Blue Crush. No, that's okay. Yes, I yeah. Well, I does I, it. Here's what's interesting this year is a lot of these movies that you expect to be huge aren't opening big, but lots of strong word of mouth and they got legs. Like, The Flash collapsed instantly because it didn't have any good word of mouth, really. Um, Indiana Jones, Elemental, Mission Impossible was going to have it, but Dungeons & Dragons was like the first one of the year where they're like, oh shit, this only opened at 30-something million, but it just kept holding, like the drops were not typical drops, and it just kept, I think it made like 90 million, so you're probably going to get another sequel, but much lower budget, because this one I think was like 150, but, um, and sometimes that can hurt a movie, like Pacific Rim, like when they went much lower budget for the sequel, but... Uh, there yeah. is a direct-to-video sequel to Blue Crush, which I'm now interested in because I had such a good time watching the original. Word of mouth is okay. Um, it has no connection whatsoever. It's just another tale of surfers, uh, girl surfers. So, I mean, if mm-hmm. it's free somewhere, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Now, Lords oh. of Dogtown... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, Lords of Dogtown starts off very similar to how Blue Crush, you know, like, these three local kids, and, you know, they're trying to get in with, you know, there's the whole, like, uh, territorial kind of thing and stuff like that, and trying to survive one way or another financially, and then it just, it diverges off completely, and it goes into this whole different world of the beginning of skateboarding. Like, well, not the beginning, it was the 60s longboard era. Um, It was never really big. It only really connected in California. Um, and there's been ebbs and flows in skateboarding more than any other sport that I can think of because most sports have their peak and they never really come back. Um, yeah. Like rollerblading, anybody? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, baby. 
It might come back because of the Barbie movie. It might. And, well, I'm seeing now that the the generation that, you know, like our generation was the ones that made rollerblading huge. And so it's like the children of our generation are discovering them in the garage. And they're like, what is this, the weird thing, whatever. And they're getting them out and having fun with it. Um, Yeah. So, but Lords of Dogtown, so it takes place in the second era of skating where it became more competitive. There was more um, evolution in how boards were designed, wheels were designed, and stuff like that, and more sponsorships. And so it's, it's the first mainstream breakthrough. And if I remember correctly, there was actually a movie about it with Leaf Garrett called Skateboard. And um, that would... That would go for a lot longer than the 60s one. This would peak around, I want to say, 91 when rollerblading did take over. And there was this whole turf area thing between rollerbladers and skateboarders. It's so strange. Um, I only know this from reading Tony Hawk's biography. Um, That was the longest and, and maybe of all time, I think, of skateboarding being huge. It felt like so many people we knew growing up were skateboarding. You know, oh, I, mean, yeah. I tried. Remember, we tried at, uh, oh, who had the airplane? I can't remember. Um, Uncle Jack and uh, Aunt Dorothy, I think it was. And I got on a skateboard for the first time, and I ate shit. I never got on a skateboard again. <laughs> I just don't have that in me to keep going. Well, there's that. Plus, it's just like, there's also, like, you know, balance and stuff like that, which I don't have the balance yeah. either. Well, it takes lots of ankle strength. I have one of those balance boards now. And boy, mm-hmm. it takes you a while to get used to how it moves. Like, you understand the board now and how it rolls. Yeah. And you just got to have the determination for that. And that's just the basic skating. Can you imagine, like, some people would just skateboard for transportation. Like, uh, Ron, my best friend, he he would just do it for transportation. Then there's the guys that would spend hours and hours and hours just trying to do, like, little things. Like, you know, uh, heel kick flips and stuff like that. And, you know, just trying to get up on the sidewalk. And then there's the guys... Yeah. Who have no fucking fear whatsoever who want to know what that next level is no matter what it is and that's these guys and each one is different one has like more of a professional focus like he's the one kid's kind of an outsider he's part of the group but he doesn't really seem did they even show his family i don't even remember like the blo- the per- yeah peralta yes yeah, uh, stacy peralta who is the person who directed the movie right what's that is he the one? Did he write the movie? He wrote the original book, and then they okay. did a documentary, which is surprising. That I think the documentary was only two years earlier. That's it's a real quick turnaround. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. He. I, I think they did show his family just a little bit. Um. But also, you know, he was he was just more serious. He had a job. He couldn't. He he wasn't trying to make the skateboarding his life next necessarily. Yeah. Well, and, and and when he did, that was like his vice. Whereas skateboarding yeah. seemed to be just another distraction from the vices the other two had. Yes. The um. Yeah, they were they were you know skateboarding was their major thing, but they also were kind of irresponsible and. Were, I mean, breaking into people's houses yeah. and, and all, it's like, they were, I cannot believe they did not get arrested, like, constantly for what they were doing, uh, and just, yeah, they were wild and had a lot of other 
desires in their life that kind of, I'm surprised that they all, you know, that many of them ended up as successful as they were. Yeah, oh, and Stacy Peralta, I think, was the most I knew because uh, he had Pal Peralta and then he had Bones Brigade, which what Tony Hawk was uh, part of that team, and that was when it was a phenomenon for like when I was in middle school. And do you remember that store franchise throughout Fort Wayne called Get Wet? Uh, yeah, it was a local chain. Yeah, it was only like three or four. Of them. Oh, yeah, I kind of yeah. And that was like one of those like every time that I would get lucky enough to step into one just to look around um like i couldn't skate and i couldn't surf but i was still fascinated by that world and my friends all did it i just didn't have the balance i was a bike kid that's it i did do stunts on my bike i just rode around on my bike that's it (laughs) maybe some stunts on my scooter i don't i can't even ride a bike very well yeah i remember we had scooters first before scooters were cool, like now they're like the last decade or so, they've been like, yeah, that's just normal. People have scooters. Back then, I was treated like a freak because I had a scooter and not a bike. Like, what are you doing? Were you five? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um. Whatever. But yeah, those, that was the big one. I knew Tony Alva, but uh, only basically as a brand. I didn't know who he was. I have never heard of Jay Andrews outside of this movie. And, of course, mm-hmm. you watch the movie and you find out why. Like, only people really in the know. He was, like, the yeah. skateboarder skateboarder, the guy who took tons of risks um, and, and was an innovator. But he also, he couldn't be, he had so many opportunities. And some of them were embarrassing, of course. That whole fucking thing with what a slinky was embarrassing. Oh, but, my God. But that he was so self-destructive. That, you know, he just couldn't get on a team. He couldn't get signed to anything. And, you know, his name has basically disappeared. And sadly, I didn't know this until just now. He died 10 years ago. Oh. Yeah. Uh, had a heart attack in his 50s, which is horrifying. But um, both other guys are doing great. I mean, which is, it, it's nice to know that their legacy will live on, you know, even beyond them. Even though, you know, they're in their 60s now. But I can see, yeah. like... I can see, like, you know, 50 years from now, their names are still known among skateboarders. Yeah, plus it's like, you know, they, um, ha- yeah, they made, they've made their mark along the way, even if they're not household names. I mean, Stacy Peralta discovered, um, Tony Hawk, what's his name? Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know this until right now either. Uh, he was already directing his own little... Back in the day, th- uh, Thrashin Magazine and stuff like that. Uh, Thrasher, sorry. Thrasher Magazine and um, Skating World and stuff like that. They always had like these VHS tapes that they were sending out. It started like in the late 80s. And mm-hmm. you, would get, you could buy them through your pers- uh, subscription or whatever. And he was already directing his own films like when he was barely past 20. He was so focused, wow. and so and and so on. Uh, Gleaming the cube, he was doing second unit footage. He's filming all that stuff wow. and stuff. So that's really impressive. Indeed. Yeah. He's wow. A, How yeah, about that? Yeah. He mostly does documentary stuff now, because um, I mean, I can't imagine your body can handle that much impact over and over and over. Oh, I know. How the fuck does Tony Hawk last that long? I mean, he was almost wasn't he into his forties still doing like competitive. Like when he did the 360 I, or 720 or something like that? I think so. I think that, that man defies all nature. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. 
And, you know, this was supposed to be a big summer hit, I think, kind of like the opposite of whatever the, the big budget stuff was. And I remember there was a lot of hype about this. It got some good critical buzz, MTV was pushing it, and it didn't make shit. Yeah. And I, I'm still confounded by it. The only thing I can see maybe is maybe they were turned off by the documentary feel of it. I mean, Catherine Hardwick... Mm -hmm. Catherine Hardrick really makes this look like it was shot on 16 millimeter and just off the, you know, no real setups, yeah. just go. Yeah. And but that helps the movie, I think. Well, it helps the authenticity. It helps the feeling, you know. Yeah. And oh my Absolutely. god, this thing is loaded to the fucking gills with cast. Yes. The cast is insane, and like cameos. Of course, I love that Tony Hawk plays a. Like John Glenn or something like that, the astronaut. He doesn't know how to fucking skateboard. <laughs> I know that's really funny. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> uh, we have Jeremy Renner. We have Joel McHale, who I think most of his stuff got cut out, but I think you just see him talking in the background as a reporter. Um, there's Alexis Arquette, uh, Johnny Knoxville. I think is probably the biggest cameo. Yes. Um, but what I think, I think that main cast is so impressive. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay really just dropping her guard because she was known as like kind of a sexy, um, you know, femme fatale kind of actress for a while there. Yeah. And she just like yeah. lets her guard down and, and is like a, just a normal everyday person. Well, she was a hot ass mess, is what she was. Yeah. But she was very, very, you know, down to earth. Very well. I should. I don't mean down to earth, but very, you know average kind of woman yeah once. she's an aging surfer girl a beach bunny who just doesn't yeah. want to accept responsibility I guess if she's gotten older yes but um the main cast holy fuck Heath Ledger with those fucking teeth and his performance oh, is so bananas great I almost wonder if Christopher Nolan saw this movie and said yes that's my joker. Maybe. Because people say, Maybe. oh, it's probably because of his acclaim from Brokeback Mountain, and I don't think so. I think uh, it's this. I think that, that, personally, that makes sense to me, because there is, like, an unhinged something there with this guy. <laughs> yeah. When, he's so insecure... He has a dream, and he's focused on that, but the minute there's any sort of cracks in that dream, he starts to lose his fucking mind. Well, I mean, there's elements of his char his character that remind me a little bit of, like, um, in uh, The Runaways. Oh, with, yeah, Michael like, Shannon. With Michael Shannon and his, like you know the manager of the band and just like the control and you know how he treated the kids and getting them drunk and and wasted and trying to be just wanting so desperately for these teenage kids to think he's cool yeah it's a little bit sad i'm curious they never really say it but could he even give those kids the money like that's the whole sticking point is that oh you're selling I don't know. But it seemed like he was spending so much on getting the skateboards made and promoting or whatever that he didn't have extra money. And his friends even yeah. get mad at him. Like, Pablo Schreiber plays the photographer, and he's like, that's not what this is about. And he's like, well, if he doesn't have the money, he doesn't have the money. Because he started off right. just like a little surf shop. And I think, they don't say it again, but I think that he went bankrupt. Like, first he couldn't control his drinking, and, he, and his business fell apart. So then he just finds himself, a few years later, designing surfboards for somebody else. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm going to assume. Yeah, they don't outright say it, but what they're implying is, is that it all fell apart for him. Looking here. And it doesn't say really anything that happened with him after... Yeah. After Zephyr fell apart, uh, fell apart, but um, I didn't know what the Z boys stood for until this moment. It's Zephyr boys. <laughs> I, oh, I had no, I had no sure. clue. The um, uh, and uh, Victor Rasic and John Robinson, uh, they've been working, but I couldn't tell you anything they've been in besides this. And I think John, uh, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with. He's like kind of the bland good boy. Um, yeah. but it does surprise me that Victor Rasic isn't like a more well-known name. I guess he's in all those, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movies, but I thought he was oh, fantastic know. as Tony Alva. This guy who's just a, a, a hothead, overly confident, but man, he can almost back up that, that confidence. And, and I don't know, he, I thought he was really compelling. Yes, absolutely. Yes, sorry. I zoned out for a second there. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Like, they just had so many people that were, like, the kids were sort of up-and-comers uh, who were, you know, getting a lot of work. I would assume that didn't this late, the late, this lady, did she also direct 13? Yeah, so 13, I believe, so she was. Reed, yeah, so she was a production I, designer. Yeah. And then she, I believe 13 is her first movie, then this, and then um, then she got Twilight and that kind of like carried her for a while. So that, I, I, I kind of forgot that she did Twilight because that means that she kind of, how much she can, she did, she worked with Nikki Reed in like all of those movies. She like, I don't, I think Nikki Reed was the inspiration and helped her write 13 okay and she was and she was you know the, i mean she was like basically the co-star of that movie i uh, and then i didn't realize that all these things so she's been acting since she was pretty young and often with her oh, okay interesting huh. i yeah. mean she's not a household name except unless you're i guess a huge fan of Twilight yeah. but um I don't know it's interesting and then the other girl I forget her name but she was kind of like around a lot you know at that time and it's just interesting when you see all those like you like the little cameos and you're like oh shit like you know they were just starting out or or with some of the younger folks how they were you know starting to pick up steam and Oh, Hollywood just, and how things work, yeah. how, how it all plays out in the end is so fascinating to me. When I look at Michael Angarano, and I really thought that he was going to be bigger, but it also looks like he chose, instead of his agent bringing him stuff, he looks like he was really like focused on finding the product, you know, finding, he does a lot of independent movies, and I believe he's directing now, um... But he does come in and out. Like, he'll do a bunch of independent stuff that speaks to him. Yeah. There's none of that phoned-in horse shit. You know, like, oh, I just do this for the paycheck yes. to get to this. There clearly I seems agree. to be a plan. Like, for like he does... Like, I know Wild Card is a much-hated uh, Jason Statham movie, but I fucking love it because it's based on that book, Heat. Not the, the Michael Mann movie, but there's an old book by um, Elmore Leonard uh, called Heat. 
and uh, uh, he's like his sidekick who wants to learn how to be tougher, and I think he's f- absolutely phenomenal in that movie. I love me some Elmore Leonard-based um, movies. I'm wrong. I I'm sorry. One, I'm oh, sorry. I'd like to see- well, maybe I have. I don't know. No, it's, it's William um, Goldman. Yeah. It's William Goldman. I'm sorry. Wrong person. Ugh. But it, it feels like an Elmore Leonard novel. But um, uh, he did that. And I remember he was in that big martial arts movie, Jackie Chan and Jet Li. You know, he just kind of, he does these yeah. in between. Like, he's an Oppenheimer in next week or whatever. I know. And, and you yeah, see, it's like, yeah, you I, know, he, he kind of started out, like, he made a, I personally think he, he made a big impression very early on. I mean... Well, almost famous, I think, is really what got him. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, in reality, that was probably you know his twelfth project. You know, he'd been acting since '95. Yeah. Well, you and I were our big fans of Sky High, which we did what six months ago or something like that. I thought he was great in that. But. But yes, he makes such an impact on me and almost famous. But then little, littler stuff, uh, you know, like uh, one of my one of my favorite movies with him is one that I don't know that a lot of people have seen, but is the Brass Teapot. Yeah, I've heard really good things about that. And Gentleman Broncos. Yeah. You know, so yeah, like what you're saying, smaller films. But then he like shows up in action stuff like Haywire and. Empire State and Red State. He has that's weird. That's yeah, well, he. I think he picks particular directors that he wants to work with too. Yeah, and so he can learn from them because he is a director now. And um, it's so funny is that the the movie positions that Stacy Peralta is the heart of the team in a way, yeah. but he doesn't have yeah. that thing that you connect to. And then slowly exactly. the movie keeps moving towards Michael Angarano's character as being yeah. the real heart. Yes. Yeah, and his, and his loss. Like he went through that surgery and then died soon after, and that's just horrifying. I know, poor guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was like, it was so sad because they were always giving him shit. Yeah. I mean, the boys still loved him, but especially the older guys and like, uh, you know, um, what's the name? What was his character's name? Who was like? Never mind. Doesn't matter. It's okay. Um, I don't know why my brain just sort of like, well. Blew up. Well, they're really shitty to him because they're like, well, you're only on this team because you're with this guy, you know, and and just like you know, you're a terrible skateboarder. Well, he did have bad balance, but there was a reason. Um, they, yeah. all, they treat him like as if he's a mascot, and that that kind of hurt. But it also made you feel like empathy for him, and I yeah. think he gives a really sweet performance. And I mean, it it, it sucks that yeah. it's a true story and that he died so young. Yeah. The um. But the, I also think it was nice that you know the way they kind of honored him there. Yeah, and I like I said, Emil Hirsch gives a really great performance with these weird little touches here and there. And when I was watching it, I kept saying, "He's kind of doing some Jim Belushi kind of physical behavior here." Um, yeah. And then I kind of looked and at his then, face, and then I looked it up, and I forgot. I was like, "Did they say like a decade ago that he was going to play John Belushi?" I don't know what happened to that. Yeah. That's wild though, because I kept well, watching. I was like, "This kind of like some of that." Uh, because Jim Belushi, or not Jim Belushi, John Belushi. Have I been saying Jim this whole time? Um, um, but John had a way of acting 
without really saying anything. Like, he had a lot of body movements or whatever, like, almost like a mime. And I, I that's what uh, Emil's kind of doing here. Yeah, he kind of scares me a little bit. Is that weird? Yeah, well, there's the scene when he's with the gang or whatever, and you're not sure what the fuck is going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wait, do you mean but the actor just, or do you mean just, the character? Kind of, both, kind of. I mean, he just sort of seems like a wild card in real life, too, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it, it does seem like a little odd that he's so critically acclaimed for a moment there. And then all of a sudden, Perry mm-hmm. just threw him away like hot trash. And like when you're a really good actor and you're easy to work with, you usually find more studio work, just maybe not as a lead. It does seem yeah. like that was a fast move from, hey, who's this new kid to, ah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe he's difficult. I have maybe. no idea. But it's like even just a few years ago, he was in some, you know, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Some yeah, pretty... but that's a day shoot. Easy, or maybe two days. That's true. Be. That was probably more of an outlier because it's like I haven't heard of or seen any movie that he's made in so long yeah it's well it's interesting is i think directors are more willing to tolerate difficult people if a it gets the movie made and two it's a day or two shoot like you know that last decade of gary Busey's career was how long do we have them just a couple hours oh thank god yeah <laughs> stuff That's like that fair. yeah um I don't have anything else to say about I think both are excellent movies. I think Lord's of Dogtown is a better film, but mostly because it's yeah. it's actually based on reality. So, hmm, I don't know what I respect more because maybe Blue Crush is the one I should respect because they had to wing it more. Like, they had to fill in the, the gaps and details. Whereas Lord's of Dogtown already had the documentary to go off of and real-life stories to, to make the characters seem more grounded in reality. You know, real... I can't talk. It's okay. Uh I'm my brain stopped working. I think I need to eat food. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes when I talk so much, I forget to breathe, and then all the oxygen leaves my brain. I'm blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Regardless, both films are good. Both are, uh, I think, uh, worth watching more than once. Uh, and go watch them. Yeah. And, and I think. One last thing I was thinking about, I forgot to say earlier, is I think it was necessary for those boys to kick skateboarding in the balls. It made it cool. It made it dangerous. It made it hip. You know, and, and you can see, like, that first competition, they're like, what the hell is this? Like, they're doing these weird stunts they've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, Nobody knew what to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, playing heavy metal. Though uh, I feel like a lot of their. Um, scores and rulings were bullshit because they were outsiders you know and and that one guy eliminated him for no fucking reason whatsoever yeah exactly all righty that is it everybody thank you for listening and have a good one